Does anybody here have a hard time making decisions? A hard time making Yeah, some of us have a hard time making decisions. Well, today's passage is going to teach us how to make decisions in a godly way. So last week we ended with Jesus telling the apostles that they were to wait in Jerusalem for the coming of the Holy Spirit. And then he ascended into heaven. And this is where we pick up in Acts 1, verse 12. It says, when they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. So basically, they're returning to Jerusalem, and it says a Sabbath day journey away. It wasn't actually the Sabbath day necessarily, but here's an interesting fact. The reason why it says that is on the Sabbath, the Jewish people were only allowed to walk three quarters of a mile. So basically, they were just saying this is a unit of distance. It was about three quarters of a mile away, and they went back to Jerusalem. The account we're about to study actually takes place in the 10 days between the ascension of Jesus and the Pentecost, the, when the Holy Spirit came, the day of Pentecost. So we're going to continue on. It says, and when they had entered, and when they had entered, they went to the upper room where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. So now we have 11 of the original 12 that Jesus chose all up in the upper room. The 12th was obviously Judas Iscariot that betrayed Jesus, and we're going to deal with him in a little bit. But they were all together, and they were waiting for the promised Holy Spirit. They did not know when the Spirit was going to show up. They didn't know what that would actually look at, look like. They knew what Jesus has taught about the Spirit, and they just basically just believe Jesus. Okay, the Spirit's coming. So he told us to go back to Jerusalem. So in faith, we're going to go together and we're going to wait. So then we go on to verse 14. It says, all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. So notice there were other people there. These the women that were following Jesus during his ministry, his mother and his brothers. Now, I don't know what, uh, you know, faith-based uh, you were raised in, but some of you might think that Mary remained a virgin, never had kids her, after Jesus, but that's not true. Actually, uh, Mary and Joseph did have other children. That was Jesus's brothers, or half-brothers. So then we go on, and it says this. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was about 120 people. So there was about 120 believers. That's a, probably a little less than is in this room right now. Okay, so there's 120 people in this room, and in, in the upper room. And he said, brothers, the scriptures had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus, for he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. So Peter takes the lead here. He brings up something in the scriptures that needed to be fulfilled. Now, before I get into what Peter is referring to, because he's talking about Judas Iscariot and a replacement for him, before I get into that, I want to point out what Peter was doing during this waiting period time. Peter, during this time, and many of the others, started to wade through the scriptures. They started to look and study through the scriptures. Now, in fact, 
He must have been going through the Old Testament passages that foretold all the things about Jesus. He must have been going through these scriptures and finding about Jesus coming to this earth. Jesus' death, Jesus' resurrection, Jesus' ascension. As Peter was going through, I'm sure he was having those aha moments. You ever get those when you're reading like a novel or watching a movie and you figure it out before they tell you what it is? You're like, oh. So that's kind of probably what Peter was doing at this point. He was studying the scriptures and he was learning. And I'm sure at this point, the gospel message became very clear that we are all sinners in need of a savior, that Jesus is that savior who died on the cross to pay the price for our sins, that three days later, Jesus rose from the grave and all who believe in Jesus will have eternal life. That gospel message is open to everybody, but I'm sure this was becoming so clear to Peter, and we know that to be true, because once we get to Acts chapter 2, what does Peter do? He stands up and preaches the gospel. He stands up and preaches the gospel. So I'm sure now he was reading the scriptures, and he was learning these things. So Peter pointed out to everyone that Judas Iscariot was the guide that brought the guards to come and arrest Jesus. He was numbered with the 12 to do ministry, but instead he betrayed Jesus. So now in this time of waiting, Peter and the others were looking for guidance from the scriptures. But now we move along to find out what happened. It says this. Now this man, this is Peter talking, now this man, talking about Judas, acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all his bowels gushed out. Nice Sunday morning message, right? Um, and it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the field was called in their own language, Akeldama, that is, field of blood. So some of you might remember this, but Judas, after he betrayed Jesus... He felt remorse and guilt about what he did to Jesus. Part of the betrayal was he got 30 silver coins. Now, in today's money, most theologians agree it's about three grand. So it wasn't a ton of money. It's about $3,000. But now when we go to Matthew 27, Judas actually goes back to the chief priest because of his guilt and because of his remorse, tries to return the money, tries to give the money back. But the chief priest won't take it. So he gets upset throws the money into the temple, runs out, and he goes and commits suicide. He hangs himself. So then the chief priests say, it's unlawful for us to use the money, so they go and buy the potter's field in which Judas hung himself. So Matthew's account is a little bit different than the account here that I just read. So I want to kind of harmonize it for you. First, the field seems to be bought by Judas, then he committed suicide. Now why would Peter say that? Well, the reason is because the money, even though he threw it back into the temple, was technically still Judas's. So the chief priest took Judas's money and bought the field in which Judas committed suicide in. The second is this. Matthew says Judas hung himself, but the description here seems a little bit different, right? So most theologians agree that, you know, like Matthew said, he hung himself and his body just hung there. And not to get into detail, but you kind of know what happens after something deteriorates for a little while. And basically, this is what uh, Peter is talking about. So now Peter tells us the Old Testament prophecies that are going to be connected to Judas. Now look what it says. 
It says, for it is written in the book of Psalms, may his camp become desolate and let there be no one to dwell in it. So now what Peter's doing in Acts chapter, in Acts 1.20, he's actually repeating a psalm. Psalm 69.25. So the field of blood was bought with the money and pretty much became a desolate graveyard. The second prophecy now is related to what we are going to learn about in a few minutes, and that is decision-making. Now remember, Peter is studying the scriptures, and things are starting to make sense. So when he saw that, he was like, may his camp become desolate and let there be no one to dwell in it. He's like, you know what, this, this must be talking about Judas and what happens. So the next is this, and let another take his office. Psalm 109, verse 8. See, according to the prophecy and Peter's interpretation of it, they needed to replace Judas. So they have 11, they needed to replace Judas with a 12th. So the next verses now give us a criteria for the replacement. So let's look and see what it says. It says, so one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the ba <laughs> excuse me, baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, the ascension. One of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. So now the criteria was it was that it should be someone that from the beginning witnessed the entire ministry of Jesus, was with the 12. There was always people following, right? It was always the 12, but there was always people following. So, they, so Peter said, you know what? This replacement needs to be someone that was with us day in and day out. So then what happened is, in this room of 120 people, they put forward two. Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice, and Matthias. So now they narrowed down the search to two men. And here's what they did next. They prayed and said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go his own way. So they prayed to God, God, show us. Which guy is it? So then what happens next is a bit surprising. Okay? <laughs> it's a bit surprising to me, and it might be a bit surprising to you. Here's what they did. They cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the 11 apostles. Cast lots? Okay? <laughs> Most are not 100% sure of what this looked like. It could have been like drawing sticks. You got the short stick. It could have been like rolling dice. But it's the modern-day equivalent of flipping a coin. Okay? Do you think that that's the best way to make a decision? I don't, okay? So why in the world is this, okay? I might have looked and said, Barsabbas just has too many names, okay? We'll take Matthias. It's easier. Um, but it's very weird that this is the way they made the decision. It would be like you right now. Should I get married? Ah, <laughs> sorry, okay? So you see, though, the practice of casting lots happened, and it was directed by God on a number of occasions in the Old Testament. It was like in the occasion of dividing up the land with Joshua, choosing offices in the temple. If you remember in the story of Jonah, 
when the storm came, what did the guys do? They cast lots. The lot fell on Jonah. They're like, you're the reason for the storm. We're throwing you in the water. Okay, so this was a practice in the Old Testament. So then the question becomes for us is do we do something similar today when we're making decisions? Do we flip a coin when we have an important decision to make? And I'm going to say to you, no. And here is why I'm going to teach you that. I'm going to teach you now the importance of making decisions in a godly way. And then we're going to get to why we don't do practices like casting lots. So we're going to learn about making decisions. First is Proverbs 16.9 says this, The heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Now this verse teaches us that we have free will. Right? We have free will. We can think, we can act, we have desires, we can make plans. God, God created us as intelligent people to reason and plan things out. But this verse also teaches us that God has his hand in the way that those plans will go. And in fact, if those plans go against his plan, they will not prosper. You get that? If those plans go against his plan, they will not prosper. So then the question is, so how do we make decisions? How do we make decisions? So based upon our section of scripture that we just covered today, I believe that we have four main things that we need to do, which will eventually lead us to the fifth and final thing. Now, the first four things are not like consecutive, like step one, do this, step two, do that. There are four things that are going to happen simultaneously. They'll overlap a lot. But then when you get to this final step, okay, this final step, that I think the reason why the believers cast lots is because they didn't have what we have now. Okay, they didn't have what we have now. And we're going to get to that. They didn't have the benefit of that yet. So let's look. So how do we make decisions? The first thing we do is we pray. When, when they met in the upper room, when they met in the upper room, they were waiting for the Holy Spirit to come. They went right to prayer. It says the believers were in prayer. When they brought forth Barsabbas and Matthias, all those in attendance, what did they do? They prayed. Now, when you are making decisions in life, you need to ask Jesus. You need to be in prayer, asking God for wisdom, for guidance, to open up your eyes, to open up your heart to the options at hand. Now, so many times when we're making decisions, right, we're emotionally attached to these decisions. We're making decisions. So a lot of times it's hard for our eyes and our hearts to be open. A lot of times we're wrestling because we just want this to happen or that to happen. So we don't go to prayer. Okay? What the Lord is telling us here is the believers, as believers, we go to prayer. We ask Jesus. He cares about every single thing in our life. We did a whole sermon on this when, 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 uh, when we went through our, the church is a place where we um, come together to pray, right? The next is we search the scriptures. Peter and the others were searching the scriptures, and in the scriptures they found guidance about the decision they had to make. Think about this. They could have just said, okay, we got 11. We're down one man. What's the big deal? They could have said that. But they were searching the scriptures, and then they started to find in the scriptures Psalm 109, verse 8, 
let another take his office. So as they were searching the scriptures, they found direct guidance for that situation. Now, when you and I are making decisions in life, we need to search the scriptures to see if the scriptures speak on that topic or give guidance for that decision. We need to be in the word looking. Okay? It's, it's easier than it's ever been. Let me just tell you that. It's easier than it's ever been because now you can just go on any of these like, like Bible Gateway or the ESV Bible or the Version Bible. You can do topical searches and find passages that speak to maybe issues that you're dealing with. But even when the scriptures don't directly deal with your specific situation, you could also find principles that can be applied in your situation that will give you guidance for the decision you have to make. Now next, discussion with other believers. Remember the passage says the believers were in one accord. So it's a room of 120 people. They were hanging out. They were spending time talking. They had fellowship. They were in the upper room for a 10-day waiting period having conversations about what was next, what they learned from Jesus, how they were to accomplish getting the gospel message out. Do you know when you're making decisions, talking with other solid believers helps bring clarity. It gives you insight from others. Those people aren't maybe as emotionally connected to the decision that you need to make. So their clarity may be very beneficial. You're thinking you're upset, you want this to happen, but then you go to them and you tell them the situation. Hey, from the outside looking in, can you help me in this situation? What would you do if you were in my shoes? Just those types of questions. That's the benefit of having Christian friendships, of being part of a church, being part of Bible studies, because you find out, you know, how, how can, what would you do in my situation? Or how, how, how can I respond? Or how should I respond in this situation? You know, the church structure here, we have deacons and we have elders. We meet monthly, and this helps because, guess what? We discuss issues that come up, okay? When, when issues come up for the church, I don't just make the decision. I'm just all, okay, top down, I'm just making this. No, I bring it to the board. We come together, we talk. They have different perspectives. They, uh, and, and, and talking about those things is so important because you know this to be true. The more you talk and relate about a situation, the more it makes clarity, the more it brings clarity. And a lot of times, you're just convinced. You're like, you know what? The more I discuss this with godly people, the more I'm convinced this is what I need to do. Even if you don't want to do it. Have you ever been there? You don't want to do it. But the more I talk with godly people, the more I realize this is how I need to respond. Now next is wisdom and common sense. Now, you might have not have caught this, but I sure did. Nowhere does Peter quote from the Old Testament that the replacement needs to have been with them from the beginning. He, couldn't, he didn't have a psalm. He didn't say, like, okay, Psalm this said, this replacement needs to be with them from the beginning. Nowhere. But you know what? In a room of 120 believers, they had to narrow the decision down. So they used wisdom and common sense. Hey, you know what? Maybe we should make it someone who was with us the whole entire time. Have you, has your parents ever said this to you? God gave you a brain to think. Or is it just me? 
okay? <laughs> like, that's the truth, okay? God gave you some common sense to reason. He gave us experiences to draw from. These help us to make good and right decisions. You know, common sense tells us if the decision we're making breaks the law or hurts somebody, duh, like, we know the decision to make. We don't have to worry about, oh, am I making the right decision? The right decision is already there. You just need to make it right now. But finally, the last thing they did not have, and I believe this is the reason why they cast lots, is this. Peace from the Holy Spirit. They were waiting for the Holy Spirit to arrive, weren't they? They were waiting for the Holy Spirit to arrive. So they put into practice something that God directed in the Old Testament, which was casting lots. Do you know, interestingly enough, after the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit arrived to indwell every single believer, we never see casting lots practiced again. Not, not once. We never see it again. That tells me something. The scripture's silence on that tells me, Mike, when you have a big decision to make, you put these things in the practice, don't go flipping a coin, okay? Don't flip a coin. Don't just be like, okay, I'm just going to make this flip decision because they cast lots in the Old Testament. That's another proof positive to us that we have to look at the Bible as a whole, don't we? We have to look at the whole picture and see how God deals with his people. So when we're making decisions, the final step is actually having peace from the Holy Spirit. Now, one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit is actually peace. Now, I'm just going to tell you this. This is not an easy thing to explain, okay? This is not an easy thing to explain. In fact, it's very hard to explain. But when you have that peace, you know you have that peace about a decision. Have anybody been there? You just have peace. You're like, I know this is what I need to do. I've done all this stuff. I prayed. I searched the scripture. I discussed this with other believers. I, I applied wisdom and common sense. And you know what? Now I'm at the last step. I know the decision I have to make. And God has just given me peace. You know, sometimes you may need to make a hard decision. And it would actually be easier not to make it at all or to avoid it. But when you make the decision based upon the first four things, and then you feel a sense of peace from the Holy Spirit, he's telling you, this is the decision you need to make. So as believers, this is what we need to be doing. We need to be going through these things each, each and every day that we have decisions to make, whether they're very small decisions or whether they're very large decisions. But when we make those decisions, based upon the Lord and his word, the Holy Spirit will bring us peace for the decision at hand. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for this day. I'm thankful, Lord, that we can make decisions by your grace and by your mercy. I'm thankful, Lord, that you can help us through giving us peace through the Holy Spirit, something they didn't have the benefit of that during that 10-day waiting period for your spirit to come. So I pray now, Lord, that if anybody here has a decision that they need to be made, something that's weighing heavy on their heart, that they would put into practice prayer and scriptures and talking to other believers, 
and, and using wisdom and common sense that you've blessed them with, that you would just give them the peace that they need, which transcends all understanding. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.